Hello, and welcome to the Digging Deeper podcast, hosted by 4constructionpros.com, covering various aspects of the construction industry, including the equipment, people, companies, and associations making it all happen. In this episode, 4ConstructionPros editor Larry Stewart sits down with New York Metro General Contractor Michael A. Bordez, president of A.A. Jetson Company, who speaks about how the company is getting back to work on all of its sites, but expects to remake its business model in the new COVID-19 era. Let's dig in with Larry and Michael now. Well, Michael Bordas, uh, founder and president of AA Jetson Company, thank you so much for taking the time on, what, day two, three now of uh, phase one of uh, construction startup in in New York City to to talk to us uh, about uh, your experience. Good morning. Um, So... Construction went back to work uh, in New York City on on Monday. Um, and uh, what what kinds of of things were the, the initial challenges uh, to to getting back on the job sites uh, after the, the coronavirus shutdown? Well, the city had put into effect some new regulations and codes that they're expecting everybody to comply by, and basically those new regulations mean better hand sanitizing stations, eye wash stations, um, having gloves and masks on the job, uh, um, having spacing between the employees while they're you know, working together. If you know, they're still trying to do some kind of decent social distancing while they're at work, um, we do have everybody in protective gear and kind of like isolated. Normally we have everybody working over each other. But now with these new rules and regulations, we kind of have the trade separate. And we're trying to keep every trade separate now. Instead of having carpenters and plumbers working in one area, we have plumbers working in one area, carpenters working in another area. And basically, I think it's just a matter of getting used to a new style of things and wearing a mask while you're working. It's not easy working in a um, on a site that doesn't have climate control. Where uh, you know, even though it's only June, some of the temperatures inside the buildings go up to 80 degrees, and you need some fans and some blowers to circulate the air. But uh, to wear a mask in, in those warm temperatures is a little bit more challenging than anyone would expect. So yeah. basically, I think it's just a matter of people getting used to the change, accepting the change, and and trying to live and abide by what the new changes are. Yeah. Have you done any staggering of shifts? Well, we did work on some essential projects from the start of the coronavirus. So we were working this entire time on mm-hmm. 50% or 60% of our projects. The other 40% were on hold. Um, so now, being that everything's back together, um, a lot a, a lot of the work that we do, if it's not outside, it's usually inside some kind of retail space. And a lot of those retail spaces are in mixed-use buildings where the ground levels are retail and then the upper levels are residential. So what we've been experiencing through this whole coronavirus um, letdown, I should say, is a lot of the people who live in those resident buildings are 
trying not to have any noise. They're trying not to have any construction or any projects going on in those buildings because most of these people that are working from home now don't want to be inconvenienced by the construction that you're legally allowed to do. So what's happening is that property managers are now stopping work in some of the buildings because the owners of those apartments don't want to hear the noise. So now we're starting to fight some other challenges with now that we're able to go back to work, the building property managers are putting restrictions on. You can't start work before 10. You have to finish work at 4. There can't be any drilling or hammering or any kind of loud noise or demolition during those hours. Um, so there are just different different things applying now um, on, on our behalf and how we're doing things with property managers and all this. So as far as separating and staggering, we, we are not doing that because we're back on the jobs full time and the property managers aren't allowing us any additional time in the building to make up some time or pick up some extra time for staggering, for staggering purposes or whatever. Ah, uh, okay. So what's happening with the schedules on those projects then? Well, yes, that's a good question. The schedules are right now um, all pretty far behind. And even getting back to work, we don't have full staff yet because we, we were kind of waiting to see what happened um, in New York City, especially with some of the writing that was going on. And hopefully, we were, we were hoping that that would uh, eventually stop sooner than later. And it appears it has now. Now, we weren't really sure what the city was going to do as far as keeping projects open or closing projects because as of last Friday and Saturday, we were boarding up building scope. And uh, so now that seems to be over and we're starting to remove some of the plywood on those boarded buildings. So um, as far as getting back to work in a realistic way, we are there, but we're not... We're not full staff yet on any project because we're still working out logistics with property managers and owners hmm. at this point. I see. I see. And you were saying that you know roughly forty percent of your work was on hold um, uh, before the the reopening. Have you gone back to to all of that forty percent of those jobs, or have there been jobs that have been canceled or delayed? So no jobs have canceled, which is good. Some jobs are on a slow, uh, more of a soft opening. So we are back to work on some of these jobs. But because a lot of the guys that have been out, some of them uh, might have been in contact with people who were sick, and some of them might have had family members that were sick. So you don't really have the exact information. So some of the employees that were working um, none of our people had it directly, which was great, but some of the people that worked for us had some point numbers that were sick, so some people, some of our team are not back to work yet, and we're, you know, we, we basically told everybody um, when we decided we were going to start work again that even from that point on, we were still like the two-week quarantine before you go back to work, and masks, I, I wear and gloves are all mandatory for, you know, for any employee at this point to be working. 
So it's not a it's not a quick start, but it's a start. Do you have a feel for how much of your workforce is out right now? Um, I would say probably in the thirty percent range. Okay. But they're all slowly coming back. Um, they're all slowly getting off unemployment, and they're all slowly, you know, getting getting back in gear. Uh, some people are still scared to work. Some people are not comfortable working in certain uh, on certain projects where there's a lot more people than some other projects might have. So, you know, geographic logistics, you know, timing of different things has all been uh, taken in as a factor at this point. So we are trying our hardest to get everything back and up and running to full speed, which. My feeling is that within the next two weeks, every project that we're doing will be up and running to full capacity. Okay. What's the um, the sanitation process? How how's that working on on project sites? I mean, you know, hand sanitizing stations, the cleaning protocols that uh, that are in place. Um, how are you making sure that 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 those things get done? So. The as far as the safety measures that they're asking for at this point, um, we have so we do usually have like a, you know typical first aid uh, products, but now we've installed a larger hand wash station, which is portable. So as you know, some of these construction sites that you work on, there might be a week or two delay in how a bathroom is set up because it's, when you're doing full demolition on a project and you're going to go into full construction on a project, sometimes you don't have the ability to have a toilet or a porta potty presence for any particular find. So now we've made provisions to have porta potty stations on site with proper ventilation. We've made the proper provisions to have the hand wash stations we use soap and water. We also have hand sanitizer stands with hand sanitizer in them different parts of the job. So if you want to just rinse sanitize your hands you can. Um, we also have uh, wipes and gloves and masks available. So whatever whatever we're allowed to do for protective measures we're doing. And even when the men are having their lunch or coffee break, they're social distancing at sixty plus. Mm-hmm. Yeah, maintenance on on things like uh, those hand wash stations and, and porta potties and that sort of thing. Have you have you upped the frequency of of cleaning and and that sort of thing? Yeah. So we have an in house. Uh, employee that on each project that is just there for cleaning. So um, when somebody uses the bathroom, somebody cleans it after. So somebody touches the doors or knobs, somebody there with alcohol wipes or Clorox wipes, you know, cleaning. Yeah. Um, it's a construction site, so it's going to be dirty or maybe messy or dusty, but it's going to be clean. <laughs> so, yeah, sure. Um, so, and then the other thing that we're doing is you know, because we we hired a company to come drop this equipment off, so they service the equipment every week. So let's say Monday morning is the day they come 
they clean out the porta potty, they refill all of the sanitizers, they refill the soap canisters for the hand wash stations. Um, so they, they kind of check everything that is needed. Um, you know, so it's like when you get an oil change and they top all the fluids off or whatever, it's similar to that. They, they handle everything. So, um, and that's, that's in a weekly, that's on a weekly basis. So that eliminates, uh, us from having to worry about when things need to be filled or when things need to be cleaned or changed from the company that does that. So we just know that every Monday we double check it was done and, and make sure that everything is, uh, you know, clean and working effectively for everybody. So uh, it's it's working well at this point. That's great. Uh, shared tools. Are you? Do you have a protocol for for wiping down equipment and tools that that gets passed from worker to worker? There is no tool sharing. Uh, okay. All of our men have a full array of tools, and even bigger tools like a saw or a cutting saw or things of that nature. Uh, we have wipes on all those benches and tables. So it's similar to when you go to a gym, you wipe down the equipment before you use it. And you wipe down the equipment after you use it. So we kind of rely on people, you know, the employees on their own to try to manage their stuff as well and be more mindful of what's happening on a daily basis. So I think collectively, everybody's, you know, teaming up at this point to make a team effort into keeping everything safe. What kind of tasks um, are difficult for you to maintain social distancing um, uh, protocols on your jobs typically? So, um, the, let's say safety meetings in the morning. We have a safety meeting every day. And to do a safety meeting, we do an OSHA safety meeting. And let's say the safety meeting is about electrical cord and how a cord is supposed to be and what a cord is not supposed to be. And when you're doing those demonstrations and explaining to the staff, the people that are working, it could be a male, female, it could be employees from other companies, it doesn't really matter where they're from. But when you're, when you're having these OSHA lessons in the moon, um, everybody needs to sign in, everybody needs to listen, everybody needs to be present. So sometimes it's not just one trade you're speaking to, you're speaking to five trades. And five trades can mean 20 people, 30 people. So it, it becomes a little challenging when you have to have everybody together sharing in the same conversation. But some of the trades don't want to be part of it because they don't want. They want to be. They want to be working. Nobody wants to stop working. So, um, so folks, you know, are moving around. Some people are coming. Some people are leaving. We require it to, you know, to be like once they sign the book, they have to stay. Normally, we like them to sign the book after the meeting, so we know everybody stays. So, it's, you know, these are all you know men and women that are adults and responsible. So we can't babysit when somebody leaves to go to the bathroom or doesn't come back. So so we try to sign the book after the meeting so everybody's party, uh, everybody's present to the to what's happening. I see. And, and so how, how are you dealing with 
social distancing in, the, in that environment. I mean, um, yeah, so the only thing we could do is, you know, the signs posted to feet away um, because everybody's working in different areas. It's not like you're going into a store and you have these markings on the floor to feet away. And so the only thing that we can do is just keep reminding people the social distance and when we see if I'm given the meeting, and I'll mention it during the meeting. You can't stay close together. You guys need to separate a little bit. So it's just a matter of constant reminding um, to everybody who's involved. And for the most part, everybody's paying attention to it on their own. Nobody wants to get sick and nobody wants to bring sickness to somebody else. So I think at this point, the way everything has been brought to the public's attention and the ways to remain safe are becoming very important and vital to the safety of everybody as well as not continuing the virus because you weren't paying attention when you had the chance. Yeah. So oh, it's really, I'm sorry. It's really, it's really hard to give an answer other than you saying, we mentioned, you know, you need to show you constant reminders. You can social distance. And uh, you guys got to separate uh, and that's basically it. So, but for the most part, everybody who's in a meeting or in close proximity to each other, they, they kind of know on their own to separate and, you know, work separate from other people. Yeah. So what are, what are the greatest challenges that you're facing given this current situation? Collecting money. Yeah. Yeah, well, when this started, anybody who was invoiced used the excuse of the virus not to pay their invoices because they were told by somebody, I don't know who, but they were told by people, government, or the accountant that you don't have to pay anything for three months. Because no one's leaving your property, no one's going to sue you. So people really took advantage of this opportunity to hurt a lot of people and benefit themselves the same way people who didn't want to pay rent. You know, regardless of what's happening in the world, I still pay my rent. Regardless of what's happening in the world, I still pay my utilities. So they're not they're not giving me a six month or five month waiver to pay my bills, the landlord was, you know, basically said, the, the rent's due on the first. If you open, the rent's due on the first. So we never closed. So we, well, we, we fall into the category of having to pay. And a lot of people took the opportunity not to pay. So when we sent invoices out three months ago or four months ago, uh, in January when this first started, and it became public knowledge that this virus was not going to be good and we're going to start quarantining. The first week, I would say 80% of the clients have sent us letters, just regular letters, not, not notarized, not from their attorneys, that they're having a very hard time making uh, ends meet with the money. Is there any way that we could start over again or we could you know, hold off for 30 days, 60 days, 90 days, and we'll pay it, you know, in six months. So right now, 
we the city's not even accepting liens. Became a Lena project, and secondly, we're trying just to be as patient as possible and explain of how how we can get paid even some money from 90 days ago. And a lot of people I know took the PPP loan or the SBA loan, and they're not, they're not even using that money to pay the people that they're supposed to pay with it. So it's just kind of a screwy situation, unfortunately. Hmm. How are you weathering the cash flow um, drought? Well, I was fortunate enough to get the PPP, which uh, which is what helped me get all of my people back to work, except a few in the office and a few in the field. Um, but the the ones in the field aren't as important as the ones in the office. So we were able to get the office back up and running, which was really important. Um, but we did not get a small business loan for construction or our you know regular bills. So we've just been able to manage our funds um, as closely as possible to make everything work and do without with something. But as far as um, as far as weathering the storm with money, we we are able to collect on some of the jobs that we have going on that were essential projects. So fortunately, those jobs were able to keep the cash flow coming. And the job that Bob and things start, which are getting back started now, will eventually be on that same rotation of funds coming in. So, <laughs> oh, sorry, I'm going. It was just a matter of um, basically having some, of the, you know, our own funds and savings, and then having some of our um, credit cards. Extended line of credit we you know been using. So some of the ways that we protected ourselves in the future, in the past, for our future, were taking out some credit line loans, or taking out um, some low interest, um, you know, private uh, from our credit cards or things of that nature. So we were able to float um, for the past few months and um, and keep going, which was which is just you know a positive great thing that we were able to do. Yeah. What do you what do you see uh in the near term future uh for you? I mean what are your what what do you have to what do you have to see change to to ensure that you guys are uh you know gonna gonna be gonna continue to, to, to move forward? Um another great question. So basically um we have been building restaurants and fitness studios for the better part of 10 years and a substantial amount. I'm not talking a few jobs. I'm talking, you know, 50% of our business revolved around fitness. 25% of our business revolved around restaurants. Wow. And another 25% of our business revolved around basically any other general construction project because we're a general contractor. And now um, I've already implemented some serious changes as to what we're going to be bidding moving forward, what types of jobs we're going to be building as we move forward. And right now, we will take we will take any fitness or restaurant work that comes across the board because we 
been doing it for such a long time. But we've also been a builder, you know, and been involved with development projects, which is where I'm going to try to start to go back into. We also did a lot of commissary work and commercial kitchen work in the past. So um, as a business... I'm sorry, what kind of work was that? Commissary and and commercial kitchens. Ah, okay. Yeah. Sorry, just broke um, up a little there. That's okay. So basically, um, these these types of projects, low-income housing developments are going to be very important as we move forward because we're running out of space and there aren't enough homes and places for some of the elderly or people who don't earn enough money to even afford a place of their own. So I started getting more involved in that kind of work and development projects and building, which would be buildings up to 10 stories that would house up probably 80 to 100 units. And the other thing where we are showing in is we built multiple commissaries throughout the country and um, we kind of got away from that in the past because of the traveling. But, you know, not every, not, you're not building a commissary on every corner. So, um, and, and they need, Sometimes the buildings are 200,000 square feet, 100,000 square feet, so they need really large buildings off main highways or interstates or turnpikes or whatever. So um, most of those areas logistically aren't right in your backyard in New York City. So um, so there, there is some traveling involved, but that's just part of doing business at this point. So... I don't really see a bright future in restaurants and fitness going forward, <laughs> but I do see a bright future in housing and commissary work and even home improvements, which we, we we did for the first 20 years of our business, but we don't really do it much more unless it's for a uh, client that has to help from us. But as far as um, you're going to start to see a lot of homes people that own homes spending money on their properties now, on their backyards, in their basements, and creating creating nice, maybe nicer, you know, movie area for their basement to watch movies at night time, or putting a pool in their backyard, or putting some kind of swing set in for their younger children, you know, depending on what space they have. Um, we don't do pools, but we've gotten about 10 phone calls to pools in the past three weeks. Hmm. So I definitely feel that the home improvement industry is going to blow up big time. And also the gardening and home, uh, home like vacation experience, they call it vacation for vacation. Sure. You have a yeah. vacation on the weekends in your pool and you have some barbecue pit or you have, you know, your dining and eating and umbrellas or whatever you put. Right? You know, feel based upon the phone calls that we're getting, that a lot of that work is going to start to come, and people are going to start spending more time at home. Even as far as cooking, you know, people are going to start planting gardens. They're going to start, you know, making things more of a home life, like it was in the, you know, like in the 60s and 70s. I mean, I grew up in the 70s and 60s, and it's, I remember, you know, family and friends always going to somebody's house 
back then, not, not many people could afford going to a beach club or to the beach. Right. So they got a small pool put in their yard, and everybody had fun. Well, God knows who to spend for. Everybody had fun. So yeah. I just feel that, you know, all these things, all the, the simple basic things that we had in life early on, when you didn't have the money to buy things, or didn't have the money for luxuries, you kind of went, you know, in the fire height. Like I grew up in the barn. So yeah. the fire height was my pool. It was great. Right. <laughs> um, and I just think that people are going to start spending their money at home again and, uh, and, and having the comfort of their home satisfy the needs for the, you know, the, the, the relaxation time and their downtime instead of having to go someplace else. Yeah. Well, you know, so especially when you start talking about more traveling for that commissary work uh, and, and that sort of thing, but but just looking at the at the whole you know spectrum of what you just described and of the, the in the changes in your work, what do you anticipate? Uh, how do you anticipate that's going to affect your your profitability? Well, when you do retail work, a lot of retail work, and retail work is just a any kind of retail store, including restaurants or um, even smaller takeout type places. Um, so there's always a profit margin that kind of folks around the 20% area, and that's not all profit. It includes internal conditions, your insurances, your overhead. So you're in the 20 to 22% range. Um, if your profit wants up being your actual take home, 8 to 10%, you know, you have it to pay. So I think that um, people have become much smarter and educated in how they buy for themselves. Uh, so in retail, you have a lot of competition because a lot of the retail owners are of the mindset that they can do a lot of the stuff themselves. They can go to Home Depot and they can price out what my pictures cost. They can price out what plumbing cost. So when you, when you go into a meeting in the initial stages with a client, they have more information than you do on what the costs are. But the costs are not really, you know, they're picking out pictures that belong in somebody's house, not in a restaurant, or they belong in somebody's basement and not in the kitchen of a restaurant. So there's a lot of mixed communication and mixed signals, and it takes time to try to educate people and, and showing them what they don't know. I'm very good at showing people what they don't know by how much I do know and how much I could provide for them in, in the bigger picture. But as far as profitability, um, a commissary, a small commissary could be somewhere in the vicinity of at any particular point, $10 million to $30 million with the same profit. So the difference is that those jobs are not as available as the smaller retail jobs. So I see. So you're you've got your travel costs coming out of that, you know, what eight to ten percent um, net. Correct. That includes everything. So you just just put your so the the, the top part about that is that if you do thirty jobs a year you need 10 people in your office to manage the jobs and to pay attention to what the needs of 30 jobs are. If you're doing commissaries for some kind of 
housing projects, those jobs, you could do one job for $40 million. And that's enough to cover you for the year. And your profit is well. And everybody's focused on, on top of that. I'm sorry, everybody's focused on... Say again? I, I, you cut out there. You said everybody's focused on, and, and I'm, I'm just missed what you said. Yeah, so when you're, when you're doing a larger project, you have everybody in your staff, for the most part, focusing on that one particular project. Right, okay. When, you, when you're doing 30 projects a year, you split your staff to manage 30 projects, which is very difficult to do when you could have everybody working on one project. So, but the thing is that geographically or logistically, they're not falling in your backyard. So yesterday I was in Canada, Jersey. Our office is in Michigan County. So two-hour ride each way, but that's what you have to do if you want to be in that part of the business. Well, that's all the time we have today. Thank you to Michael Bordez of AA Judson Company for speaking with us. Tune in every Monday for another episode of the Digging Deeper podcast from 4constructionpros.com. And be sure to subscribe and share. You keep listening, we'll keep digging. Until next time. <laughs>